Welcome to the second season of Promethea Rising. In this podcast, I speak with people who are promoting energy conscious communities. So what is an energy conscious community? Simply explained, it is a community that has taken steps to understand its local energy system. They are curious about where their energy comes from and how it is distributed and used within their community. They want to understand the unintended consequences of their current energy system, like climate change, energy poverty, or poor air quality, and they're willing to work together to make a change. This might mean policies and programs that promote more efficient homes and buildings, industry, or transportation. It might also mean investing in more cost-effective local solutions for the distribution and generation of energy that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. In short, they want to say in their energy future to ensure that the many benefits of addressing climate change can be shared locally. There are many pathways to a decarbonized global energy system. Many of those pathways start in our communities, where nearly 60% of all energy is consumed in Canada, and over half of all greenhouse gas emissions are released. In this season, my guests are not just satisfied with incremental change, but are working to transform the organizations and markets they work with have an impact on climate change. My guest for this episode of Promethea Rising, Peter Garforth, is no stranger to leading change. I first met Peter almost 20 years ago when he was engaged to develop a community energy plan in Guelph, Ontario. I described the experience as being put into a slingshot and being hurled at high speed down the path to becoming an energy conscious community. Peter has taken many years of global corporate work in business development and market transformation and applied that experience to supporting communities in the transformation of their local energy systems. Peter's extensive knowledge of the global energy environment, its past and future, is an invaluable asset to any community embarking on this journey. Welcome, Peter, to the first episode of Season 2 of Promethea Rising. Thank you, Karen, and it's, uh, it's amazing to think uh, we've, been, we've been on this journey for 20 years, even a few years before that from my side and I know from your side. Peter, I want to first tap into your impressive knowledge of leading transformational change. You have had experiences in many sectors and settings. What are the common themes, regardless of where you've sought to lead change? That's an interesting question because too often we, we get in the silo that we're talking about energy or we're talking about market development or we're talking about agriculture or, or whatever is our speciality. And we overlook the the common aspects of planning the future or creating the future. My experience from the business development side, most of my work career has been in business development with energy as an ancillary focus. The first question we have to answer is what kind of plan do we need to develop? And broadly, that falls into two categories. We've either got an incremental plan which we can look at saying we're going to do essentially the same as we do today, but do it better, do it quicker, do it cheaper. But essentially, the framework of our our environment is going to be the same, whether that environment is the market or our home or whatever. 
Then the second type of plan is a transformational plan. And this is one where today's rules, today's frameworks are going to change fundamentally. And almost the first question we need to ask is, which planning environment are we in? And if we're in a transformational environment, the conventional rules of incremental planning, step by step, day by day, week by week, of improving the current situation really don't work. So then we have to sort of look at, say, we we start from another perspective. The perspective is paint a picture of the future, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ahead, whatever it is we're trying to create, make that picture very clear and very real as if it is already existing. And there's many, many ways to do this and uh, we haven't got time to, to discuss it, but at a minimum, we should define its performance, we should define its structure, we should define how it operates, we should also define how it resonates with the population and the, the players in the game. Once we have that clear picture Then we need to answer the next question, which is what organization, what processes would we need to manage that picture? And that then creates our bridge. We now know we need new organizations, we need new processes, we need new understandings, we need many new things to make that happen. So step one, paint the picture of the future. Step two, define the structures and processes we need and then get on with it. But then don't get on with it in terms of planning too much in terms of the step-by-step detail, but get on with it in terms of acting into the future, being consistent with the processes and structures. If we're going to build a $20 million infrastructure component, Step one, find $20 million. And don't start on a $10,000 journey when you have a $20 million future, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the way I paraphrase it is paint the dream or define the dream, define the end game, act the dream, and then the dream becomes the reality through action. So when we look at the energy challenges, which have been sort of bubbling for many, many years now, depending who you are, you can go back to the 1890s when the first climate change uh, signals were being sent by the scientists. We're looking at fundamental deep change in our communities. So we need to use the tools of transformational planning, not the tools of incremental planning. So I'd like to move our conversation to your work in community energy planning. Any credible plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions must address the energy performance of our existing homes and buildings in Canada. Given more than two thirds of our existing homes and buildings will still be in use in 30 years. So this is not gonna be a small task. The technical potential is there to make a significant contribution Canadian homes are about half as efficient as global best practice, and simple technologies exist to achieve deep savings. Yet, as you and I know, past retrofit programs have had limited success in impacting the efficiency of the residential sector as a whole. For at least a decade, you have been calling for a major shift in thinking about the retrofit market in Canada. Can you share your thoughts with our listeners? 
Sure. Let's um, let's let's build the bridge from the earlier earlier discussion about painting the future. Round numbers in any given community. Current homes are between 20 and 30 percent of all of the greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, they may even be higher in some communities. So it's a significant piece of the puzzle. We use the phrases like reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It already puts us in the wrong. In, it's in danger of putting us in the wrong conversation. If we look at the community goals of well over 700, 700, 800 communities in the USA and Canada, they're not reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. Their target is to eliminate them and to eliminate them within 30 years. That's not incremental. That is transformational. So if we take the rules we just talked about, what does that mean? So I, I thought we'd take a city, a typical city in Canada with 200,000 population, uh, these are based on an actual analysis, so it's you know reasonably realistic. When we have our retrofit program running in our invented future or our end game, we will be renovating 10 homes a week to be 30 to 40 percent more efficient. That's what the challenge to eliminate or nearly eliminate greenhouse gas emissions within 30 years calls for. At best, we are probably run in that current community, we're probably renovating no more than one or two a month. So we are in completely different scales. So the first thing we need to do is get our head around, A, why are we going so slowly? But secondly, what do we need to do to deliver 10, 15, 20 renovations a week? Remember, this is just one city of 200,000 people. Scale that up to Canada and we are in, you know, thousands a week. Step one, we need to learn lessons from other industries which have transformatively scaled delivery. And the most obvious example is by no means the only example is our good friends at Amazon who said there must be in the beginning, they said there must be a better way to sell books than the local bookstore. And they started out redefining the supply chain to deliver books. But they did much more than that. They redesigned the supply chain to deliver just about anything using modern technology, using scale. So number one, get our head around the scale and speed. And then number two, design a system that can deliver the scale and speed. And don't be put off by the current status, the current barriers, the current naysayers, for want of a better word. It's going to be difficult. It's transformational, but the goal is fairly clear. If we move at that scale and speed, we mobilize a lot of capital. We create thousands of jobs and we deliver the required reductions. We also get the obvious advantage of scale, lower cost. Currently, a retrofit of a home costs more than the benefits accrued from the energy savings. There are clearly other benefits. Scaling up to these 10 homes a week in the city of 200,000 people, we are now creating a cost structure because of the scale, because of the efficiency of the supply chain. We are now creating a cost point, which is clearly an immediate benefit to the homeowner. So the homeowner is getting a really nice retrofit. They're getting a nicer property to live in. They're 
cutting their operating, their energy costs by more than the cost to finance the retrofit. The people delivering the retrofit have hundreds, if not thousands of new jobs. And essentially, we've taken a what appears to be a financial burden to the community to becoming a financial benefit and a social asset. So who do you see stepping into this space to lead the scaling of the retrofit market that is so desperately needed? I think there are some obvious candidates. There's no black and white answer to that question. It's potentially the existing municipal utility holding company, which can say, hey, this is an opportunity to create a new member of our holding company structure. We can capitalize this. We can move forward. We have already the credibility in the local community for high quality ethical work. The challenge is we also need to sort of inject ourselves with entrepreneurial DNA to be able to walk into a space that is new, transformational, We'll have some bumps in the road at the beginning, there's no question. Any new any new venture in a new space will always have that. But that's an obvious candidate. I think other candidates are clearly large companies which would have the capability and structure and resources to build a, an entrepreneurial enterprise like this. They would have the credibility to raise the capital. So I think there are many candidates. It could be coalitions. It could be an existing uh, framework embracing a new opportunity. In all cases, I think it will always be a well-structured strategic partnership with the community itself. Have you seen any examples that are getting close to this? I see examples where the communities are understanding, analyzing, and scoping what it's going to take. I have yet to see a community which has fully capitalized moved into action with clear goals to hit the scale and speed necessary. So we're in that we're in that point where candidates to move forward in this kind of scale and speed are existing. They've done some of the homework, but the ownership, the formation of the entities or the the new companies, whatever we want to call them, are still hovering at the start line. So what is causing the hesitation from your perspective? What is stopping them from taking the step into execution? What creates an Apple computer? What creates an Amazon? What, um, you know, how, do, how does any transformational business begin? Um, I think it begins with some small group of influential individuals who say, we get the target, we get the opportunity, we get the arithmetic, we understand the business plan is viable but it's only viable if we can get the scale and the speed. And we are going to take that opportunity and put some personal, political, maybe even risk capital on it to get the game moving. I think we are looking at a space now where the analysis and the understanding of the potential is becoming clearer. I think we are lacking the entrepreneurial DNA or that small team of risk-taking leaders, which is true in any transformational plan. The journey always starts with a few risk-taking leaders who are willing to move that understanding into an operating reality. Is there a role for government to help enable this to happen? Or is this something that has to emerge from a grassroots level and organically? 
There'll always be a role for government. Um, the role for government is we believe in the future, we understand the future, the climate crisis is real. We understand the collateral benefits to our community of the employment, of the property valuations. So there will always be the role of government as the endorser of the value of the future, the invented future, staying with our transformational language. Somewhere there has to be a partner to that sponsor, cheerleader from the government side, which is the organization leadership, which is able to say, yes, thank you for the creating the enabling framework, but we also need to put boots on the ground, create the contracts, create the capital flows, create the skill sets, create the teams, make the mistakes and correct as we go. That is probably not going to come from a traditional government framework. So it's going to be a partnership. It's going to be a partnership between government at all levels who want to achieve the climate and social and economic goals as a matter of policy. And it's going to be a partnership with entrepreneurs who see a multi, if we look at North America in total, a multi-hundred billion dollar opportunity, which frankly does not exist today in the scale we're, we're discussing. So the message to government based on what you're seeing on the ground is that the opportunities are there, momentum is building. So some help at this point would have a big impact. Yes, and I think it's back to mechanisms we understand from other areas. The economic development organizations, which are sometimes public, sometimes private, sometimes combined, the Chambers of Commerce, the economic development departments, have a very long history, and in many cases, very successful histories, of targeting particular investor groups they want to bring into their communities, of doing structured outreach to them, selling them the benefits of doing business in their cities, not only reaching into Canada, but reaching into many places in the world. And there's, we have a successful track record in many cases of those kind of entities attracting willing investors, willing entrepreneurs, and willing risk takers. What better outreach from a community than to say, we can even define in dollars and cents the scale of the retrofit opportunity in our community. And let's not forget, retrofits are only a piece of a community energy plan. So if a community energy plan is really up and running and rolling, we're talking about opportunities much bigger than the retrofit opportunity. Part of the public role is to not only say, you know, we, we support our energy plan and we, we hope things will come better, but to actively go out to the people with those economic development skills in the public space and say, how can we attract motivated investment groups to turn these pieces of the puzzle, the community energy plan puzzle, into reality? I know you have spent a lot of time in the last few years spreading this positive message to community leaders. Are you beginning to have some hope and confidence that this will begin to take hold and that we'll start to see some action? I think we're beginning to see the question, the right question being addressed, um, which is certainly new in North America. For a long, long time, we've been looking at what could we achieve on the climate agenda, and it's been more of a discovery of the content. 
I think the question is now shifting. We understand the content. We understand the urgency. We've basically got 20 years to cut our greenhouse gas emissions as a community by at least 80%, which is transformational by any standards. The question is moving to the space of what do we need to do to make that happen? And I think that is already a big shift. And there is the clear understanding that the vast majority of the investments, activity, alignments to make that happen will have to come from a very powerful partnership between the public sector and the private sector. It's going to come from private investors looking for reasonable, acceptable returns on their deployed capital. So I think we're beginning to see that understanding. This is a game of scale. This is a game of transformation. This is a game of infrastructure rethinking, even though it comes in many, many small pieces like retrofitting an individual's home. Nonetheless, that is an infrastructure change when you start talking about 10 homes a week in a city of 200,000. So we are beginning to see cities addressing the question of what framework do we need to enable that powerful public-private partnership. I don't think we've yet seen a community where that's beginning to run like a well-oiled machine. You said something a few months ago that really struck me, that sometimes we can blame the homeowner, that they are stupid, lazy, or, or don't get it. But in fact, the homeowner is acting quite rationally in the market they are given. It is the market that is dysfunctional and doesn't work for the homeowner. Fix the market and homeowners will begin retrofitting their homes. Absolutely. And it's like any market. If the product is really, if we stand back and do an objective analysis, is disruptive, inconvenient, expensive, difficult to buy, then the largest pool of the customers will behave rationally. And they'll say, why do I need inconvenience at a high cost? So the challenge for any entrepreneur in that environment is how do I create convenience at a low cost? And that's a quality product at a reasonable price delivered with the minimum of inconvenience to the consumer. And that's a lesson that any market has to learn. This is the basic transformation we have to find in the retrofit market. I think we know the model that will make it work. Now we've got to simply say, okay, we know the end game, we know the model that will make it work, we know the processes and organizations we need to put in place, we know what it's going to cost in terms of capital requirements, let's get on with it and get it done. That's a great place to wrap up, Peter. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts on how we create the future. We see more communities taking the step to describe their energy future, What perhaps is less well understood is that we're not talking about incremental change or incremental planning, which is so familiar to us. Rather, to achieve the future of a decarbonized energy system means that today's rules are going to have to change fundamentally. If we consider the energy performance of the residential sector in Canada, we will need new structures and processes to deliver the scale of retrofits required to address climate change. What we need now are courageous leaders who are willing to take the leap to build them and obviously face the natural bumps along the way. Join us for the next episode of Promethea Rising as we continue to speak to people leading the transformation to energy-conscious communities.